I love September, and uh, it's, I really do. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like New Year's for a pastor in a church. Everything kind of gets back to normal. Parents love it because the kids are out of their hair. They're back in school. Uh, it's a wonderful time. So anyway, uh, August the 18th, that was about, I think, four Sundays ago, uh, we had... Um, uh, the power to change ministry from the Mount Royal University campus here. And uh, Andrew Williamson uh, spoke that morning. I didn't speak. But at the end of the service, uh, I, I came up and, and just kind of gave a benediction. And as I was standing right about here, um, there was this couple that looked to be in their early 40s started walking towards me. And they're, they're, they're coming towards me, you know, uh, that they want to meet me and talk with me. And so I'm, I look at the guy, and then I look at the woman he's with, and I went, Krista! And her eyes opened wide, and she said, You remember me. You remembered my name. The last time I had seen Ken and Krista was in 1989. 30 years ago when I was their youth pastor in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, and so, you know, and I don't know why I remembered her. Um, I didn't remember him, but I remembered her. And after I sat down and Colleen and I went out for lunch with them, we sat down and we, uh, we took them out for lunch and uh, I tried to pay, but he beat me to the punch. Um, and... Uh, we had a wonderful time of catching up with them. They, uh, I think their oldest child is now 22 years old. And when we left Kansas City, I think they were just in high school at the time. And uh, now they have a 22-year-old, you know, who's their oldest. And, and, and one of the things they mentioned was they said, do you remember the Vine, V-I-N-E? And I said, oh, yeah, I remember the Vine. What the Vine was was a discipleship group that I had started on Monday nights for our youth group. And what had happened is twice a year, in the fall and in the spring, uh, we would host a, an over-the-weekend youth retreat. Every fall, every spring. And I would always bring in a guest speaker, somebody who really knew how to speak to youth. And we would have music, you know, kind of like this. And, and we had a pretty large youth group, and we always had a good turnout for these things. Well, one of the last retreats that we did, I can't remember when it was, maybe my second last year there, we had an amazing speaker who came to speak to the youth, and boy, he really spoke into their hearts. And I remember on the Saturday night, we had kids get right with God. We had altar calls. You know, we would just line up chairs at the front and at this retreat center, and kids came and some wept, and you could just see that the Holy Spirit was at work in the lives of these kids. They all knelt there you know, praying and, 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 and some coming to Christ for the first time in faith, others rededicating their lives, and it was powerful to witness this. But I knew, as many of you know, that that's kind of a mountaintop experience. And you know what happens? Monday morning comes and they all kind of settle in to life as usual. And so on the Sunday morning, we would always end with um, a Sunday morning service before we'd go back home, and I stood up and I said to these kids, I said, every one of you who made a commitment at the altar last night at this retreat, every one of you is going to backslide and some of you will fall away. 
And I paused like that, and I said, unless you are willing to be discipled, to be mentored in your faith. Because this is just a mountaintop experience, and it cannot last. You can't stay on that emotional high. And if that's all it is, it doesn't go any deeper than that, you're not going to make it. So I said, I want to open my home, our home. And I think we lived in an apartment at that point. We were students as well. I was a student um, and a youth pastor. And we opened our, our home to these kids. And I remember we averaged about 15 kids every Monday night. It was the first time I had ever done anything like that with the youth. We just had Bible study. You know, we studied the Bible. We had activities. We had fun. But we never had that kind of a group. And I said, I don't want you to come to this unless you're really serious. And, uh, and there's a lot of things I would change about how I did that, but they never forgot that. And the fact that they came to Canada, ended up in Calgary, and actually found us here in this church. And, you know, you can find anybody on the Internet now, right? But the fact that they made that effort, this group I know made a huge impact in their lives. It's all about discipleship. It really, really is, folks. And so I just want to read you something. Um, most of you are familiar, even if you haven't read your Bible, with the gospel accounts about Jesus and his ministry on earth with, his, with the twelve. Um, and it tells us this. It says, this is Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. It'll come up on the screen. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. Now, what it tells us, if you read the parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke, it gives a bit more information. It tells us that there was a crowd of people that came to him, and out of that crowd, he chose the 12 he wanted. He said, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. That's how it was. And it says, he called to himself those whom he wanted. And then it says, he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Jesus appointed these 12 that they might be with him. I've underlined those words in that text. It was important that they were with him. They were with him all the time. The 12, other people followed him more at a distance and more casually, but the 12 lived with him. They ate with him. They lived in very, very close quarters. They traveled everywhere with him. This was this, this whole entourage of people that went with him. And when he would teach people in the crowd, in private, he would withdraw in private and he would give them special teaching and, and explanations that the crowd didn't have. He would, he would break open the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to them, but not to the others. They were with him. It was important that they were with him. They weren't just following him. They were being trained by Jesus to take the good news of the kingdom of God to the entire world. And that's why we're here today. But it says in that passage, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them. First, they needed to be with him. That was training. They were with him for a few years to be trained, to see how he lived, how he acted and reacted when he was under pressure to, so that his life, so he could be a role model and his life would just spill over onto them, but also to see how he did ministry 
how he fulfilled God's mission. They were watching and observing and learning. This was like apprenticeship. But he did this, as it says there, so they could be with him, and then he could send them out into the world to preach and to have authority to drive out demons and other passages say to heal the sick and so on. Now, if you were to read beyond verse 14 there, Mark chapter 3, beyond verse 15, I should say, if you read beyond that, you read the next few chapters, up, you know, chapters, the rest of chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5 of Mark, what you're going to see is it's Jesus with his disciples, and he's going around, he's driving out demons, he's healing the sick, and he's doing miracles, and he's preaching with authority, and he's drawing all these crowds, and the disciples are watching, and they're learning, and he would withdraw with them in private, and he's preparing them to send them out into the world. And then we get to Mark chapter 6, and this won't come up on the screen, but in Mark chapter 6, after a long time, months, maybe even a couple of years, it says that Jesus called the 12 again, and then he sent them out. So first they spent a long time with him, watching, observing, and they would assist him. They would work with him. But now he's sending them out two by two, two by two, to do the same thing. Now he's releasing them to go solo on their own. And then it says they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now what's interesting, if you bother to read the gospel narrative... In, in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you found out they weren't always successful. You know that, right? They sometimes failed. They weren't always, and sometimes they really embarrassed themselves. This was the school of hard knocks. It was trial and error, lots of trial and lots of error. They made mistakes, but that's how people learn. We don't learn and we don't grow if we don't get out of our safety zone and out where the action is. And it's interesting, if you look at the kind of men that Jesus chose, you know, they were not impressive. You know that, right? They were really, the most impressive of the bunch, really, intellectually and educationally, was probably Judas, maybe Matthew, the tax collector. They weren't that impressive, but, and we don't know exactly, how did Jesus come up with the, those specific 12 we know that they were part of a larger group before he finally ended up selecting them. But how, how did he end up choosing them? Why? Well, we know in Luke, it tells us in Luke 6 that, that Jesus prayed all night. So we know that he felt led by the Father to choose those 12. But I think really what he was looking for was availability. They were just available. And they were devoted. They were truly devoted to him. Jesus took these 12 men who were not ready and he said, come with me, with him, with him. He gave them a new identity. They weren't, remember in Mark chapter 1, Jesus sees the men fishing, you know, and he says, leave the nets, come follow me and I will help you to fish for men or fish for people. He said, you'll no longer be catching fish in the water, but you're going to be catching people in the world. He gave them a new identity. He said to them, I am training you to be not just disciples, but apostles. An apostle is a missionary. 
It's someone who is sent out. He said, that's your new identity. Your identity is that I'm training you to be apostles. And he even gave some of them new names. Simon was called Peter. Peter means rock. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, he called them sons of thunder. He gave them new identities. When you become a Christian, God gives you a new identity. We sang about that this morning. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. But I'm not just a child of God. I am a disciple, a learner, who is being prepared and equipped with the tools that I need to go out, to be sent out into the world, to win the world. And with that new identity that they had, they, they, they had a new reason for existing. Um, they now understood why they were on earth. Matthew, the tax collector, knew, I'm not here just to, to collect taxes and have a job and then retire. The fishermen, they knew, I'm not just here to catch fish. They were here to do God's will and to accomplish God's mission. And that made all the difference in the world. So here they were for two, three years with him so that he could train them, prepare them, and send them out into the world. With him to send them. Can everybody just say that? With him to send them. With him to send them. That's what he's doing with us. And so it's interesting. That was at the beginning of his ministry, right? What we're reading here. Now take a look at the end, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and, and one of the last words after he rose from the dead, before he ascended into heaven, one of his last statements was the one where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's interesting. He said, I chose you to be my disciples. I trained you to be apostles. Now it's your turn. I'm going away. But at the end there in verse 20 of Matthew 28, he says, I'll be with you, but I am going back to be with the Father. On earth, it's now up to you to carry my message to the world. It's your privilege to make disciples of the nations. And when he said that, he was saying to go and win the world, every man and woman and boy and girl. Win them. And then he says, after you baptize them, then I want you to instruct them and train them to obey everything I've commanded. What did Jesus command us to do? He said, I want you to teach them, train them to do everything I've commanded you to do. Remember, they spent two or three years with him. What did he command his disciples to do? He said, love one another, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, deliver people, follow me, do as I've done for you, uh, make disciples, bear fruit. He's saying, now I want you to tell them, the rest of the world, to do the same thing. So if we go back to Mark chapter 3 where we started, it says Jesus chose the disciples to be with him 
so that he might send them out. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus sending his disciples into the world. And the reason he sent them was so that they would be fruitful. How many of you know that God, it's God's will for you to bear fruit for him? You know that? It is God's will that you bear fruit for him. Take a look at this passage in John chapter 15. Um, and so, so before I read this, think about this. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28? You know what it says? It says, this is the creation account. And it says, he created the male and female. And then he said, go forth and multiply. Go forth and reproduce. It's kind of interesting. Now he's saying that in the spiritual realm. What God wants you to do is go forth, go and make disciples everywhere around you, and be fruitful. Now, it's kind of interesting. Um, If you have babies, okay, so you get pregnant and you have a baby, and then you get pregnant again, and you have another baby, and then another baby, would you also say to your babies, now we want you to grow up so that you will become fruitful and multiply? Isn't that, isn't that the idea? Or do we just want to have a nursery? What would you say when a baby is born, you got a little, this little bundle of joy, eight pounds or so, and you're holding this baby, so this baby's perfect in every way. What if that baby is still in your arms, eight pounds, and drooling, you know, and, and, and still breastfeeding, and still having to have diapers changed, 20 years later. No. See, the message is baby needs to grow from infancy into maturity so that baby will learn, go forth and multiply and replenish the earth. And that's exactly the message here. We're not running a nursery school. The church is not to be a place where people stay in spiritual infancy or dependency upon like the clergy, but we are here to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, who train others, who train others to make disciples, who train others, so on and so forth. That is God's will, is that we would bear fruit. And there's two reasons why we should be fruitful. And it's found in this passage. And I want you to take a look at John 15 here, just at the very, very end. Jesus said, if you remain, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, what is it that brings glory to God, according to verse 8? That we bear much fruit. People sometimes say, Well, doesn't he mean the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, and self-control. Doesn't he mean that? No, that is not what Jesus meant. Of course, we need to do that. We need to be virtuous people. We need to be holy people. But when Jesus said, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, proving that you are my disciples, that's not what he was referring to. Jesus was saying, go out into your world and evangelize. Win them And after you've won them, I want you to disciple them. I want you to train them. And I want you to have, you know, send them out in the same way that I sent you. Let me ask you a question. Suppose Terry Mahar, who's sitting right here in front of me, suppose Terry is the only true believer in the whole world. 
What, what if he was the only Christian in the whole world? And Terry lives his whole life to give praise to God, thanksgiving to God, and he lives in a way that is pleasing to his Lord. Would you say that Terry is bringing glory to God by doing that, by living in a way that's pleasing to God, walking in a manner? You say, wow, that's great that he's bringing glory to God. You say, well, is that enough that one person sings praise to God and lives in a way that pleases God? Is that enough? No, I think all of us would say, well, what if Terry could reproduce that in 10 other people? Wouldn't that give more glory to God if there was 10 or more people doing the same thing? What if it was 100? Would that not bring more praise to God if there were more people with one heart and mouth that would rise up and give praise and honor and glory to our God? What if there was a million? What about a billion? That's what it means when it says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, fruit that will last. That's exactly what this means. And so, it will change everything for us if we take this really seriously. It is really my privilege as a pastor to help our church do this. Uh, the fact that I'm preaching about this the last few weeks should tell you that I don't think that we're doing it optimally. Not yet. We're doing better than we were. But we have a ways to go. I told you to ask yourself, I asked you to ask yourself two questions this past week. you remember what they were? Who am I and yeah, yeah, sorry. Why am I here and who do I see? And when you go out into your workaday world, when you're shopping and so on, ask yourself, why am I here in this place right now? And who do I see? Do I see people? Um, I want to just give you five questions. And these are five questions I learned about just a few weeks ago, along with some of you who were at a seminar on discipleship. Here the questions are. Ask yourself this week when you go out, who am I? Who am I? What is your identity? You say, I am a child of God, but if I am a daughter of God and a son of God, then I am going to want to bear his image and do the things that he did. Um, I am a disciple. I am an apostle. I've been sent. Why am I here is the next question. Why am I here? I am here not to do what I think I have planned out in my calendar, but I am here to do God's work, to do His will. I was at the gym a while ago, and I was doing my workout, and, and, and during my recovery breaks, you know, I would kind of chit-chat with people, and I saw two ladies on the treadmill. I might have told you the story. And one lady, um, you know, was, she was very, very friendly. And then I was over uh, doing some, uh, some curls like this, and this lady was on a mat in front of me, and she started talking to me, and she wanted to know what I did for a living, and I said, well, I'm a pastor, you know. And she said, really? She said, you need to come right now, stop what you're doing, and come and sit down with me. And I found out that her name was Althea. Her name was Althea. And this woman just opened her heart 
And she actually began to weep as she was telling me her story of coming here as an immigrant and the struggles that she had and so on and so forth. And uh, anyway, I've not seen her since, but I do have her contact information, and I'm just trying to be a little bit careful because I'm a guy, you know, about doing that. But I do pray for Althea. But all I can tell you was this. I really wanted to get back to my workout. But she had me cornered for like 20 minutes on the floor. You know, and so this is where I live, folks. I have to remember, who am I? I'm a missionary for God. Why am I here? I am here to do God's will. And then the other question is, what do I have in my hand? What do you have right now in your hand? That's the question that God asked Moses. What do you have? And he said, a staff. He said, throw it down. And God used that stick of Moses to work miracles. You already have everything that you need right now to do God's will. You do not lack anything. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you have all you need right now to begin doing God's will. All you have to do is step out and start. And don't worry about embarrassing yourself. You will sometimes. But that's how it starts. What do you have in your hand? that God can multiply. The fourth question is, who do I see? And I want, to, I want you to take a look at this picture here. This is just a picture of people sitting in a restaurant. And, you know, you walk into a restaurant. You know what I do when I walk into a restaurant? I'm looking for a really good table. I, I don't like to sit in the middle. I like a table off in the corner where people won't bother me. So as I'm talking right now, I'm thinking, okay, Colleen, next time we go for dinner, maybe we should sit in the center so we can actually engage people. But that is not my nature to do that. And when I go in there, I'm looking for not a person. I'm not looking at people. I'm looking for a table. I'm looking for food. But God is showing me, Brian, pay attention. Pay attention. Who do you see? Do you see those faces? Those are people. I died for those people. The person in front of me is more important than anything else that I have to do. And what is God wanting you to do and say? that person. And here's the last question. What if everyone made disciples the way that I do? How about that? I'll send these out to you in an email this week. But what if everybody made disciples the way that you do? You're going, well, I don't even make disciples. Ah, see, that's it. Where would the church be? There wouldn't be a church. Where would people in the world be if we weren't sent and if we didn't pay attention to who we are every moment of every day. If we did this, and if we took this seriously, it would change the way we do things in our lives. And I want to invite, I'm going to invite the Sias and the Rana Singers to come. We're just going to end with this. I know we're a little over time and we had a very packed service, but I want to invite the Sias and the Rana Singers to come and join me here. And uh, <clears throat> I, I just believe that if we took discipleship seriously, it said, I am going to make disciples, which means I am going to carve out time in my schedule, in my life, to make room for people, not programs, for people, and pour my life into them. And we'll show you how to do this as we're learning how to do it. But this is the difference it could make. Think about our small groups. We call them life groups. And I want to just... So uh, whoever wants to start first, I know that you had a group that met on Thursday nights, 
and uh, you had like one larger group. And I know John and Alana, Waikoko, were you over there? Alana was on the acoustic guitar this morning. Um, so I'm just going to start with Shamal. And Shamal, if you come to the mic, just tell us a little bit about, uh, you had one group that met on Thursday night, now you have three groups uh, that are meeting on different nights of the week. Can you tell us about what's going on there? Why did you go from one group to three groups? What was involved in that decision? So, we uh, really like that image of the vine that, 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 that you sort of brought up at the beginning in John 15 as well. It talks about the importance of abiding in Christ in order to bear fruit. Um, and that's something that we have, I think, come to realize in our lives as well, is that fruit bearing and disciple making sort of emerges out of that process of abiding in Christ. Um, it doesn't just kind of happen out of nowhere. And if you look at... Uh, the history of the church and history even in the even in the Bible the moments when the greatest explosions of discipleship and revival happened when, was when people were abiding and then Holy Spirit was working through them in some really incredible ways and so uh, our small group had been has been meeting together for about I don't know eight years I think in some form or the other uh, and it's not really a small a small group in in the typical sense anymore because we have 14 adults and 11 children, and the 11 children all under the age of five. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a really interesting group right now, and it's been that way for the last few years. And I think we realized that that process of abiding uh, and disciple-making and fruit-bearing uh, was, was being challenged in many ways because of the, sort of the format of, of who we were. And so we decided to, through, through prayer and discernment and listening, to God to, to experiment with, with breaking off into smaller, small groups so that we have that capacity and so where we have margin to, to be able to, to abide and bear fruit and invite other people into, into our community as well. And so we've started um, meeting on alternating weeks in smaller groups of about five. Uh, and then on the other alternating weeks, we'll still come together as a large group to be able to share with what's going on in our small, small groups. Mm and pray for each other as well, so, yeah. Well, that's kind of creative, so, um, so for you to make the decision to do that, because when a group gets tight relationally and you've been meeting together week after week for a number of years, it's hard to break away from that model. Like, like how was that for you? Emotionally, I guess, relationally, what was that like? I don't know if maybe Ryan might even want to share a bit, but uh, yeah, yeah, sure. It's. It's not the first time that um, this has come up. Like we've we've had this group, and it's kind of gone like this and this, and and when it goes like this, we we start thinking about this isn't quite working. Um, and we've always made we we've we've done it prayerfully, I think, and and made the decision. Okay, we actually need to stick to what we're doing now. Um, and so this time, I guess it, it was a bit different. Um, and yeah, like it, it, it was hard, and I think it, it does continue to be challenging for sure. Like, there are relational things. Like, there's always the, you know, does, does this, do these people not want to be with us? Is that what we want to do? But it's, but I think there's enough trust um, built in our group that um, we know that, you know, it's not for any ulterior motive. It, like, we actually are seeking um, one goal, and that is to, to disciple others. So, yeah, we're, we're, still, we're still working through it. But. Yeah, so, so really, though, it, it doesn't, it goes back to what Shamal said, is it does allow your, each of those three groups 
to include more people that are unconnected, right? <clears throat> so, Ryan, you mentioned something to me when we talked on the phone yesterday about kids. Can you just tell us about that? What's it like with all the kids and what's, what's the concern? So, I mean, I mean, that's part of why we split up because, like Smarl was saying, we've got a ton of kids and to be able to have any adult conversation is, is very difficult. Um, and so, so we thought that, you know, breaking that down smaller would, would make that more manageable. And, and I think it has been, but it's still challenging. Like for our group, um, Steph and I and the Wongs, we've got six children between the two of us and we're looking to invite other families in with children. And so we're looking at potentially eight children. Um, and yeah, so we're, we're it's, yeah, and all under the age of five. You need right, someone so. to do nursery work. I, yeah, we're trying to figure that out. So. Okay, did you hear that? And you know what would be great would be if some of you, and I would ask that you pray about this, Lord, is there a way that I can help them because they got these little kids and I could be with their kids and, and keep the kids happy and, you know, while the parents are meeting together. Uh, if you could help out with that, okay, so there's the Waikokos over there, the Ranasingas and the Sias. You could talk to these couples or ask me and I could put you in touch with them. God bless you for doing that. Thank you. God bless you. Yeah. You know, there's uh, making disciples, you know, like one of the things, I'll just end with this, but is Bill and Melody Young are here, and you heard, you saw Bill and Melody up here earlier, okay? And Melody spoke, and she told you about our young adult ministry. We got all these university students and non-university students People that are just, you know, here, they're out of school, but not. But just saying, we feel called by God to minister to our kids, they call them. And, you know, Bill and Melody do not have their own kids, their own children. But you know what? They are adoptive parents. You know, and what a beautiful thing. When I was a young adult, there was Wayne and Cindy Spackman were a couple that took us under their wing when we were young adults. And they ministered to us. I don't know if they ever thought of themselves as disciplers, but they did disciple us. You know, folks, uh, Bill and Melody need your help. Uh, there is no greater joy than doing this and pouring your lives. Bill and Melody have caught this vision of, you know, we could be a spiritual parent. We could be mom and dad or grandpa and grandma <laughs> to grandpa and grandma, okay, uh, to these young adults. And, and there's generosity there. There's availability. Who... It's not, you don't have to be cool. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be anything. All you have to do is be available and say, God, use me. That's it. And then he will show you who to go to. And, and, and he'll show you, he'll multiply what you have in your hand. He'll do that because that's what God does. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for the things that you are doing uh, in our church. It's so exciting, Lord. We, we pray for Awana and for preteens that's beginning. Lord, for Awana Wednesday night, I just pray for your protection upon this building and upon those kids and their leaders. I pray for preteens as they meet, I think, on Saturday for the first time for their launch. Thank you for Jen and her vision to, to, to minister to these uh, older uh, children. Thank you for Alyssa and our youth group as they're now meeting on Wednesdays and Tuesday nights. 
God, what a privilege it is to be a part of a church that's discipling kids and youth. And Lord, thank you for Bill and Melody and for the way they're pouring their lives out for young adults. Um, thank you, Lord, for uh, our small groups, all of our small groups. And oh Lord, show each one of them, of us, how we can multiply what you've put in our hands, to multiply it, Lord. Before we go, I want to ask you right now, would you embrace your identity to be God's missionary? If so, silently right now in prayer, God knows your thoughts, he knows your heart, would you say, Lord, I am your missionary. You have sent me. Show me, Lord, to whom you are sending me. Help me to remember who I am, why I am here, what I have in my hand that you can use. Help me to see who is before me. Would you say, Lord, I don't want to make any excuses. I know that you have given me everything I need to do your will. I believe that. And I'm wondering right now, if you would, starting today, begin to pray for three or more people that you can disciple. Would you do that? Maybe you're already doing that. Maybe God wants you to increase that. But if you're not doing that, if you cannot name three people by name right now, if you can't see their faces mentally right now, would you say, Lord, would you lead me and open my eyes to see in my heart to receive into my life three or more people? And Lord, I would like at least one of those to be an unbeliever so I can lead them to you. Would you be willing to be a spiritual parent to bear fruit? Because God isn't just interested in you bearing fruit by yourself, but he wants you to grow an orchard. Thank you, Father. I pray that you would help each one of us in this room to begin praying for three or more people that we can reach out to, that we can mentor, disciple. Someone we can lead to Christ and begin to disciple that woman or that man or that boy or girl. Help us, Lord to make disciples the way that you did. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.